Hello, I'm India and welcome to the second series of the Start a Ripple podcast. This series is proudly sponsored by Cotswold Outdoor, the outdoor experts working to change the fabric of outdoor retailing. And you can find out more about their sustainability mission and services on their website. Now, this podcast is a platform for me to chat with inspiring folk that are making ripples in their lives by moving in nature. And I'm here to find out a little bit more about how this connection with movement and nature is having an impact on their mind, body, and the environment too. And I hope the conversations that come from this podcast will encourage you to get outside, move, dream big, and see what happens from the ripples you create. All right, it's time to introduce my guest. Shane Benzie is a celebrated coach and best-selling author who is on a quest to change the way the world moves. After my brother recommended I get Shane on the show, I started looking into his work and couldn't wait to find out more about his research on how Western cultures cultivate a hindrance on the way our bodies move and how we need to come back to a more natural form for the sake of our health. This episode will change the way you walk and run. Honestly, it's such an eye-opener. Cool. So, hi, Shane, and thanks for coming on the Starter Ripple podcast. My pleasure. Thanks for the invite. Oh, it's brilliant having you here. So, I'd like, I always like to start these podcasts by asking you, you know, where did your ripples begin? Your journey, how you've come to where you are right now? Okay. So, uh, so I was a, a runner, or still am a runner, um, and I used to be an ultra runner, running long distances. And um, I kind of had two big problems that, that many runners have, is that I kept getting injured, and, uh, and I just wasn't getting any better. No matter how hard I tried, I just didn't seem to get much better at it. So I decided to kind of go on a journey to find a better way for me to run. And, uh, you know, that I guess the journey started with the internet, like everything does. Um, and I was confused with lots of different sorts of information, and it involved biomechanics and treadmills and stuff like this. And I got really confused. And, you know, I thought in the end, you know what, I'm just going to go and find the best runners in the world and see how they run, see how what they're doing and see if I can emulate them. And that was about 10 years ago. Uh, and I'm still on this journey. It's an amazing journey. So hopefully I'm only about halfway through or maybe even a third. Um, yeah, seeking what I call beautiful movement, trying to understand what it is. Um, and now I've become a coach and I, and I now coach what I find to, to runners all around the world. Yeah, I, I think it's interesting that your journey started from injury. Um, mm. I know that, uh, you know, I, I have dibbed and dabbed with running. I have, as a child, I loved it. Um, 800 meters, 1500 meter runner. And then came out of it and then kind of got back into it doing 10Ks, then came out of it, then training for the marathon. COVID hit, didn't do it. Um, but during that time, I have also had injuries. And I know that's a topic that comes up a lot with running is that a lot of people say, actually, running's not good for you. Mm. Um, and sort of when I've been researching what you've been doing, a lot of stuff has come from the fact that our Western world, our Western culture is actually creating a hindrance on the way we're running, which is why maybe it's, we think it's not good for us, you know, and I'd like you to sort of kind of dive into that a little bit more. 
Yeah, sure. So, yeah, so in, in traveling around the world for the last 10 years, I've looked at athletes all around the world, but I've also spent a lot of time uh, living with and studying tribes and indigenous people as well. So people in rainforests, jungles, Arctic, Sahara, all Himalayas, all around the world, looking at how people move who aren't necessarily runners, but do some amazing movement skills in their everyday life. So really trying to understand what human movement is about. And I think probably two of the biggest influences on our movement and actually two of the biggest challenges we have in the Western world are the way we perceive our movement has a huge bearing on how we actually move. And you might think to yourself, well, do you know, I don't really have a perception of my movement. I just run. Um, but we all do have a perception of our movement, even if it's a subliminal one. And our perception of our movement is one that's based on biomechanics. Okay, so I think we view ourselves in quite a mechanical way when we move. And this was one of the big problems I first had when I went on to my journey to try and find a better way to move. So we all grow up with our movement being explained to us through biomechanics, which is essentially the way engineers talk about movement. But, you know, we're not machines. We're very synergistic, connected, fluid and elastic in our movement, or at least we could be if we felt that's how we move. So that perception has a, is a real challenge for us. And of course, if I travel around the world and look at how people move in different environments, they often move in a more fluid way than we do because they haven't been told that they can't. They haven't been, they don't know what biomechanics is. So they move with, you know, unhindered by thought process. Whereas we, have, we kind of sometimes overthink it or have been fed a version of something that might not necessarily enhance the amazing attributes that humans were given. So that's the first one. And then the second one is actually our dynamic movement is always going to be an extension of our everyday movement. So if you put a pair of trainers on and go out for a run this evening, actually the sea of tension that you take out, the posture that you take out into your run is one that you've created throughout the day. And that could be sat at a desk all day, you know, and that's where many of us are now is sitting in front of some kind of screen um, all day and evening. Um, and that creates a really strange sea of tension that actually our species was never really designed to take. So they're two really big challenges. I think it's really interesting you say that. I'm, I'm a yoga teacher and oh, okay. I see that in my classes. I even see, obviously I've been teaching mainly on Zoom this year. I even can see it through like these little screens on Zoom. You know, <laughs> people are coming straight from their desk to the class and their, their shoulders are up by their ears. They're, I do a lot of stuff actually with wrists and sort of fingers and hands because they're sort of creating this, this motion of they're typing all the time. And, um, you know, in, we need to, I'm always talking about the fact we need to create full mobility in the body because we're working in quite a linear way in the Western world. And we actually need to be moving a little bit more naturally because that's what we would naturally be doing sort of yes. way back when, when we were, you know, running for for our prey or running away um, even. And um, and yeah, we would be moving more laterally. Looking behind us would be, you know, so incorporating things like twists and stuff because we just don't do it. No, you're right. And you know, this so this persistence hunting kind of, you know, it's, it's pretty well known now that we kind of used to earn our living by running and walking and catching things. Well, you know, that was as little as 15,000 years ago. And so we came away from that hunter gathering type thing and then kind of became farmers. 
you know, and then the industrial revolution came along and now the technological revolution. So really we're an animal that in the last 15,000 years has gone through a huge change. Uh, and we, we, we just like almost like fish out of water. We really haven't had time to adapt anywhere near, adapt to this now very strange situations that we find ourselves in. But I think if the way, we, the way in which we perceive our body is really important because I think if we had the right perception of our body, we would take on the challenges of that everyday movement in a slightly different way. And so when I'm working with uh, athletes, and, and when I say athlete, that's anybody that runs uh, and walks. You know, if you're doing something athletic, then to me, you're an athlete. And so I work with them on this concept of tensegrity. Okay. And so tensegrity or biotensegrity for a human is this concept that the 206 bones in your skeleton are essentially floating. Okay. No bone in your body touches another bone. If it did, it would hurt. Your bones are essentially floating in a sea of elasticity created by your tendons and your ligaments and your myofascia. So when you move, your skeleton is just free flowing, 206 individual bones free flowing in a sea of elasticity. Now, if you know that, that would really inspire you to want to create nice, tall, elegant positions to, to maximize the elastic energy in the body. But it might get you thinking differently about how you sit and how you stand and how you interact during the day. Because if you think you're a, a kind of a clunky skeleton that's a structure, you might think you could sit there all day, stand up at the end of the day, stretch your spine out, and then you're fine. But if you, if you imagine that actually your skeleton's floating in a sea of elasticity, which is constantly forming itself, um, and you know it's never more than seven months old, actually, this system, you'd take a lot more care about putting it into beautiful positions, both at home, in the office, as well as doing something dynamic. That's sort of changing that visualization that we have, what's that within us. Just, yeah, absolutely. Really interesting. Um, yeah. And I, I found this quote that was in Athletics Weekly. The tribes and indigenous people are fascinating because they haven't been subject to biomechanics and they don't have any preconceived ideas of how humans move. They just move and it's invariably better. And is this because they're, they are moving for you know, a, a purpose, as in they're moving to get from A to B, they don't have cars and things like that, they're moving uh, to, to get food, yeah. whereas we are sort of made to move in the Western world to be fit, you know, yeah. and, yeah. and that, that changes the mindset of it, you feel like you have to move, not as, you know, as a chore, but sometimes it can seem like that, uh, rather than moving because it just serves a really powerful purpose within our daily to day lives. Yeah, I agree. You know, we almost we're almost prescribed exercise like medicine, aren't we? That, you know, when, and, and that can be that can be difficult because that you could then be forgiven for really not doing much for 23 hours of the day and then just doing a little bit of exercise as part of as part of that day is almost like taking medicine so that everything else is, is wiped out. So. Yeah, I, I think what we need to do is start treating our movement and any any movement they do like a skill. Because so if you're a yoga teacher, so if somebody comes to your class and they will be able to soon, I'm sure. Yeah, we're, fingers we're crossed. <laughs> How exciting is that? I so know. When, when people do come to you, they're coming to perfect a skill, aren't they? They're practicing their skill. It's a great example of somebody coming and wanting to perfect their skill. Very often, yeah, we just treat it as a means to an end. So I think any any movement skill that we do, any sport that we do, 
if we treat it as a skill and want to get better and better at it, then we'll we'll think more about it because you know you could <coughs> excuse me you could go for a run every day and by the end of the year you would be better at running by default you would be better at it but actually if you thought about it as well as doing it then you will maximize your potential because you're going to treat it as a skill and try and get a little bit better at it every time so i think that's what we need to do is yeah think about uh, movement as a as a skill uh, rather than just doing it because we promised ourselves that we would. And I think what I find really interesting about what you're talking about is the fact that I, you know, I started this podcast because I'm fascinated with the power of moving in nature and how it changes your your mindset. And you're talking about moving naturally, you know, so it's, it's it all comes round, it's all comes sort of round full circle, really. Um, can can our environment then change the way that we're moving? You know. If we're running around a city or even around a running track, for example, does that change the way that we're moving compared to if we're running, I don't know, trail running and or we're we're outside and in more sort of hostile environments? Well, I think, yeah, clearly when you run, you you run, if you're running well, then you're kind of interacting with the environment that you're running through. So you would move differently on technical trail than you would if you were just running on a on a road or a track but I think the way you know there's a way a human was designed to run um, and we can actually do that on any surface and in any environment so anybody who's who's listening to the podcast um, can go out and run and treat running as a movement skill um, wherever they are you don't you know that there are no limitations to that at all and, and, I, and, it, and it's really interesting what you're saying about, you know, the mind and movement. I, I think one of the big uh, things we get slightly wrong about movement when we're running and maybe other tasks as well, is that it, if you go, if you change your movement tomorrow. So let's say you listen to this podcast. Like, right, okay, I'm going to go out for a run tomorrow and I'm going to I'm going to change the way I move. If you change the way you move, you're not creating new muscle memory that we often we hear the term muscle memory a lot and we think that we're teaching our muscles new tricks well really muscles don't have a memory they don't really know what they did this morning they don't make decisions actually it's our brain our very clever software that actually makes the movement the hardware the physical body just follows what the software tells it to do so if you go out and start to change your movements you're actually rewriting your software and I think that's really exciting. And then the body, the physical body, does the task that it's asked to do, and it will get strong and it will get good at that task. But changing things is a software change. And so that means you don't have to see yourself as strong or super fit to change your movement or to change your lifestyle, because actually it's a software tweak. And that means anybody can do it. And the body will pretty quickly start to adapt to that task. So you can come at it. From, you know, from any position, you can start from anywhere. You don't have to be fit and strong to start doing something dynamic. And I'm sure you would see that in, with your yoga. Oh, absolutely. And I, I think it is sort of really interesting when you when you think about that, that mindset thing, because I know every time that I've gone out running, I have this voice in my head that's, that to begin with, it's telling me like, Lydia, like it's great, I'm enjoying this. And then I get this voice that goes, what are you doing? Oh my yeah. goodness, why are you not? going why are you not sat on the sofa why are you putting yourself through this if I'm pushing myself or even if I'm sort of doing I don't know when I've sort of competed not competed but entered myself into things like 10ks 
you've chosen to do this, you're paying to do this. <laughs> you know, you sort of go through this whole mental cycle with it. But actually, there is a side, there is also a side where you can, you find yourself in this complete flow sequence. And that's been, for me, that's always been when I've been out sort of running in the woods or something like that, where I can really absorb myself in the environment that I'm in as well. And I think it does affect the way that I am, my sort of posture and the way that I'm running too, because I'm, I don't feel quite as tense when I'm in those environments. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's really interesting. So, you know, I think sometimes we forget that we're, we're an animal. Um, and uh, as an animal, we have something called a perception of effort. Okay. All animals have it. All predators have it. Um, and, and as humans, we're hardwired to go to the path of least resistance. So we're kind of hardwired to be lazy, essentially, to not waste energy, because our, brains hasn't, our brain hasn't really caught up with the fact that we can go to mini Tesco's and get a sandwich anytime we want. It still thinks that we have to save energy because we may have to go and run and chase our food. So when you start to do something dynamic, if the brain starts to work out, there's no good reason for you doing what you're doing, as far as the brain's concerned, it will try and shut you down. And it does that by raising your perception of effort. So you think you're working much harder than you actually are because your very clever, cunning brain knows that that will just get you to sit down and save energy. But if you persist with it and then you move through it, it'll, it'll, it'll let you carry on. Mm -hmm. But initially, yeah, it doesn't want you doing that. It doesn't want you wasting energy. Yeah. And, and, then, and then the second point is really interesting. So our, I think if you looked at 100 photos of 100 people, you'd be able to guess their emotions by their posture in that photograph pretty much. And so, you know, so our posture is definitely an extension of our emotions. And, and actually for, for humans, it's really interesting. If a human is in trauma, what we actually do to deal with that trauma is to fold in on ourselves and, 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 and you know, kind of almost protect our vital organs, close in into that embryo position to protect ourselves. And so, and, and being exhausted can be, you know, traumatic. There's, there are levels of trauma, but there's no doubt if we're not feeling the love, and uh, we're not enjoying ourselves. Our emotion governs our posture, which is to close in on ourselves. And that makes everything really difficult. Whereas if you are running through a forest or along a beach or something like that, and you, you're really enjoying it, you will open up a lot more and, and the posture will be better. And that makes the whole movement better because you're now loading this beautiful elastic system that does a lot of the work for you. So emotions definitely govern posture and posture definitely governs how well we move. Yeah, that's really interesting. So what kind of, if you can sort of be to give, I know someone like me, who's not, who doesn't run, I, did, I sort of come back in and out of it. Mm. Some tips on, 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 on thinking about my posture when I'm running um, yep. in order to really feel like I am in that sort of optimum place of being really natural when I'm running. Because that's what we really want to get to is it doesn't want to feel like a chore. If we're outdoors and we're running, you want to feel like it's just fluid. What, what advice can you give me? Wow, okay. So I think that these days, over the last quite a few years, good running has been seen as the ability to move over the ground and save energy or not use energy, okay? Whereas I see beautiful running as the ability to move over the ground and create energy, elastic energy. Your relationship with the ground has a huge bearing on how well you run. 
And as a human, when you hit the ground, you've got around about two and a half times your body weight coming back at you. Okay, so Newton's third law, any action is met by an equal and opposite. So for a human, when you hit the ground, you have two and a half times your body weight coming back at you. Now, that sounds really alarming, but actually it's a beautiful thing because that impact coming back at you turns into elastic energy and throws you forward. So it's Mother Nature at her most genius. You run over the ground, you hit the ground, you create elastic energy, you store it, and then it throws you forward. So if you really start to get the hang that that's the case, you will move differently over the ground. We try and almost shuffle over the ground, create no air and no impact, but they're the two things that actually propel us. Mm -hmm. So one of the big things to think about is how your foot lands on the ground, okay? And what I kind of talk to my uh, runners about and my athletes is a, what's called a tripod landing. And that's essentially, if you think about the bottom of your foot, and you drew a tripod on the bottom of it, it would go from the heel up to the big toe, from the big toe across to the underneath the little toe, and then back down to the heel again. So you've got a tripod on the bottom of your foot. If you get that tripod landing, then you harness that elastic energy that you create when you hit the ground. That's really, really important. Probably 85% of runners tend to land on their heel on a pretty straight leg. And so we never really harness that elastic energy. Second thing to think about is something I call the center line, okay? And it's a made up line, it's not an actual line of elasticity, but it's a line that you can visualize when you're running. And if you imagine a line that runs from your belly button, up through your abdomen, up through the chest, underneath the chin, to the top of your head. And when you run, if you open up a bow, if you put a bow into your chest and open up that center line, that gets you nice and tall, it gets your upper body over your center of gravity so that gravity starts to help you. And it also brings those hips forward and gets that pelvis into a nice neutral position as well. So just running and opening up the upper body and opening up that center line and putting a bow into it changes your posture completely. Yeah, that, that's really interesting actually because I often talk about in my yoga class about leading with your heart center okay. and about creating that energy. And if you sort of, Draw your shoulders back, lead with your heart center, lift your heart, your heart to high at the sort of highest point almost. It creates a circulation that starts pumping around your body more, gives you more energy. Um, and it sort of feels that there's a relationship between like kind of what you're saying as, as, yeah. as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. No, that, definitely, without a doubt. Yeah, and, and I think that's, that's, and it totally makes sense when you're talking about it. And actually, I know that I've, I've, I've seen you on your Instagram talking about this bow and you've got, clients talking about it and how dramatically it affects them and and when you look at professional runners you can actually see that bow shape can't you absolutely yeah you definitely can yeah without a doubt and and really much so for my work it's 10 years of traveling and research and coaching and stuff and then really what I'm trying to do is distill all this down so that with some pretty simple cues, because I think we said sometimes we just overcomplicate things. And really, we just need a few simple cues that if you do them, it gets everything into the right place. And that center line, honestly, it's a get it really is a game changer. And I, you know, I want runner, all of my runners to the moment they start to run is to open up that body and open up that center line. And I get them to imagine it as a color that line and even give it a name so it kind of is your running buddy you know wherever mm. you go 
you immediately open up into that beautiful, elegant. Elegant is the word. We tend to stick a pair of trainers on and just try really hard when we run and tough it out. Whereas, you know, why, why can't running be a sequence of elegant moves that propels our body? Just like yoga or just like martial arts or ballet. Why does running have to be a blood and guts thing? I don't think it does, you know. I think we can um, do it and treat it as a sequence of beautiful moves. Yeah, I know there was one of, I saw, I was watching one of your videos on your Instagram from a client and she was talking about her bow and she called it a flow <laughs> bow. And, and she said it was the color of green because it felt so natural, mm -hmm. um, which is yeah. so, you know, so amazing. Now, uh, just, a, just a minute ago, you were talking about your research and where you've gone with that and where it started. And um, I know that when I've been sort of looking into your background, you're, what's something I'm quite fascinated by the fact was that your research started with sharks. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so absolutely. You, which is amazing. So I just, I think this is a really fascinating subject, and uh, yeah, I'd love for you to, to talk to us a little bit more about that and and how it's sort of connected with what you're doing right now. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't seem to be a connection. Yeah, I know. So well, how I'm going to segue this one into the podcast? <laughs> sharks. Well, yeah, so I spent a lot of time with sharks, and in, in, a lot of time in the water with sharks, studying them, trying to understand uh, more about them. Um, I was a, um, a director of the Shark Conservation Society, so I spent a lot of time all around the world looking at sharks, and um, and I became absolutely fascinated with them because they they're just incredible movers. The sharks because they've been around for about four hundred million years, okay, and really all they do is swim around, eat, and have baby sharks. That's kind of what a, that's what a shark does, and its environment really hasn't changed that much in four hundred million years at all. Whereas obviously ours has changed rapidly a number of times over the last 15,000 years. So spending time in the water with sharks, I got to really study them and, and become fascinated by their movement and how efficient that movement was. Dynamic when it needed to be, but efficient. And, and so when I started my journey to study runners, it made total sense to me to actually study them, study hu uh, humans as a, as a species rather than athletes because I worked on the thought process, well, you know, if you move the way a human is designed to move, by default, that's going to make you a good athlete. Um, and so that was really, that, that was my, that, that's kind of where the link is, I guess, um, is, yeah, studying sharks as animals, and then really studying humans as animals as well, and working out how to harness that natural movement, and then how to turn that natural movement into, into human performance. Um, I'm actually just preparing as soon as I can travel to go off and spend some time actually with um, orcas, with killer whales to, uh, yeah, because they're uh, beautiful movers, but actually work amazingly um, well as a group. And I think one of the big things that we're losing these days is our interaction with each other as a group, as a tribe, as a community. And actually that has profound effects on our movement as well. You might not think it, but it really, really does. In, in, what, in what way? Well, I think, you know, if I, if I, so some of the, when I go to uh, East Africa and I spend time in the running camps in East Africa, for example, where some of the best runners in the world are, and everyone always says, oh, you know, what makes the Africans amazing runners? Is it um, running out of poverty? Is it altitude? Is it bare feet, diet, genetics? All of these things are a thing, but I think the biggest thing is actually the power of the group where they push each other very hard in their training and their racing, but they're also there to put their arm around each other and really help each other. I think that's incredibly powerful. 
And I think we're losing that. I think we're losing that in modern Western society. Maybe social media is the new tribe and, you know, and, and we don't really work together. So I'm really keen, you know, a lot of my research now is obviously still into movement, but is looking at other effects on that movement. And I think the power of the group, how we interact together is, is huge in that. So, and I'm, but I'm keen to keep the animal link as well. So going in and spending time with killer whales and orcas who are fantastic at hunting as a group and, and living and working together as a group will remind me that we are just a species and that's a really good way of kind of kicking off that research. Orcas were only spotted in Cornwall this week. So oh, I know. You don't that's have to go that far. <laughs> I well, I'm going, I'm, going, I'm going to be doing it in Norway, which is actually pretty oh. close because most of my stuff with, uh, with the great whites and the tiger sharks was uh, kind of Africa. So actually Norway, it's kind of almost home. It kind of feels pretty close. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's so interesting that you're to, to treat human species, you know, as a species. Yeah, the fact yeah. that we do, we disconnect from that. And I guess a lot of, you know, what I've found with the more that I've moved, started moving in nature and, and sort of really encompassing that, is the more that I feel connected to this natural world and I feel part of it and I want to protect it. And, and it's interesting that you've, you've come from it from a sort of different um, angle that you've start, you were doing the protecting side and looking after um, yeah. the marine life. And then it led you to discover the movement and take you into it. So it's a, it's a different angle on it. And I, and I think that's really, really fascinating. And we can learn so much from this natural world that we just, just ignore and almost try and disassociate ourselves from i think most mm -hmm. of us don't even consider or admit that, that we are an animal we almost think we're above that but yeah. but we but we are we just have mm -hmm. dexterous thumbs and pretty big brains and so we've gone on and done other stuff and whether we've been more successful is debatable but you know but we now seem to have this feeling that maybe we're, a, we're we're not an animal at all and we don't we certainly don't live that life anymore and as an animal we're, we're we're kind of hardwired to save time and save energy and we've actually taken that to the eighth degree now by inventing all of this stuff which means we don't have to burn any calories at all everything is done for us so we're almost becoming a victim to a degree of the way our brain works because we're now becoming very immobile because this this need in us to save energy we've, we've just taken it to the extreme um and i think we've got to rewrite that i think and rethink that um because we've kind of got stone age brains but in a space age world and we've got to kind of i think kick back a little bit and get moving a little bit more um and because you know if you just ran around the park you know you'd load you'd load bones you'd break down fascia you'd break down muscle fibers and then when you go to bed go to sleep and recover the remodeling the re-architecting and the rejuvenating takes place so you wake up better the next day able to do the task based on what you did the day before and that constant recycling of the body rejuvenating and re-architecting of the body that happens throughout all of your life literally the last day you have on the planet you're still doing that and I think we tend to think sometimes that we might get to a certain age and think oh well I didn't do it when I was younger and I haven't got the muscle memory I hear all the time and you know I, that's it my time has gone your body is constantly adapting to the task that you do every day forever yeah and I I, I so one thing that I, I do want to talk to you about which is I guess is where I 
it feels like we're taking running to the next level, but I think it's actually taking it back to the basics a little bit, is ultra running, these yeah. ultra marathons. Because you look at it from the offset and you're going, oh, those people are mad. They're running all these crazy miles and these like, you know, crazy inhabitable places. But actually when you start reading into it, and I know that ultra marathons have kind of gone a little bit um, commercialized, but the, yeah. the, the grounding of them was very small groups of people who just wanted to get back to the rawness of running in natural environments. And I'd love to hear your opinions on ultramarathons because I know it's become very popular recently. Um, but do you, do you believe that what it stems from is, is, is our sort of need to connect with these hostile environments that, are, that sort of put us back into these, I guess, sort of fight or flight modes? Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, it's not odd that we like to get into groups and run around because actually that's kind of in our DNA. That, that's what we would have done is, is get together collectively as a group. And you know, I think back in the day when we would have kind of interacted as a tribe, there may have been around about 150 of us. And, and, and above that, we would have then splintered off actually and gone into different tribes because after about 150, we kind of lose that ability to communicate well. Um, so, but yeah, that, that's what, I think that's why we like to get together in groups and, and run because it's, it's kind of in our DNA and the ultra running scene. Yeah. has absolutely exploded. That's what I used to do when I, when I was running, I still do, I still run, don't race anymore, but I still do run. And I've done sort of distances of up to uh, 184 miles straight, um, without stopping. Um, and so I think ultra ultras give you the ability to really step into the abyss and test your body and test your mind and they do take you to some amazing environments as well and I think that's great because I, I think sometimes our lives get a bit safe um, you know and uh, we're busy and we're rushing around but you know in a relatively conformed way and we're pretty safe and you know you can do a marathon or a 10k or a park run which are all fantastic but you kind of know you're going to finish those I think whereas with the ultras you're sort of stepping into the abyss a bit and not really knowing what's going to happen. You're not really looking for PVs in ultras because they're normally very different in different environments. So there's, there's nothing to base it on. Um, so yeah, I think that that an ultra is probably the thing that gets us back to our base as, as, as much as any running can. And a lot of the multi-day ultras, so you can be out for five days in the jungle or the desert or Arctic conditions and stuff like that, that, that really gets you moving. Uh, and thinking in a in, in a way that we would have done many years ago. A lot of my research has been done on humans in extreme environments, and it's amazing how even within five days that person starts to interact with the environment very very differently. Even even within that five days, it's amazing. Wow. Yes, yeah, so you you adapt. Yeah, you, you, you know you, that these these sort of natural things come about, and you start adapting. To, to where you are so can you sort of is there any experiences you've had or some of the best ultra marathons you've been to could tell us a little just if you've got a story of one or anything like that oh my goodness well there's <laughs> so there's so many around the world um I, oh, yeah i it's it, it, almost impossible to, to pick one out i think the the marathon des Sable is a um a race that many people will have heard of mm. uh and it's a five-day race across the sahara desert um and uh 
you you up you run up to two marathons a day some days um so long distances in in incredible heat um and uh, you you kind of sleep every night in a tent and you share that tent with seven other people so the camaraderie and the power of the group in the in the um in the tent is absolutely amazing you know because you're all people from all different kind of walks of life are kind of flung together uh in these tents and uh, you know some amazing friendships develop from that and you can really see people gaining strength from uh you know from that event and building strength as they go through the through the days so i think that's one that really sticks out where you get that camaraderie it's it's amazing and you know what's fascinating is when I when because I, I run these races as well as uh, researching on them, and if I'm researching them, you look you, you I work with runners and I put sensors on them while they're in these races and and look at all kind of data from them, but also work a lot with them on their perception of their effort and how fit they feel and how tired they feel. And very often by about day three, they are kind of saying, "Do you know what? This is amazing. I'm getting fitter on the race. I'm building my fitness on the race. This is getting easier." But in reality, you're not really building physical fitness in time to be fitter than you were two days ago. But what's getting fitter is the software, is the brain's ability to cope with this amazing extreme environment. So if you land in the jungle and everything's trying to eat you, you know, the brain is going wild trying to cope with this situation. And so everything feels really tough. But after two days of it, and you actually start to see the beauty of it and you, you understand it and you're more relaxed with it suddenly your perception of effort comes down and you start to feel a lot fitter. So it's amazing on, in all of these environments to see people that are dropped into them who at first are just thinking, I just can't do this. I really can't do this. And by day three are helping each other, enjoying it. And in their mind, getting, getting much fitter. Mm-hmm. You are, but it's a software fitness rather than a, than a, than a hardware, a body fitness. Yeah, no, it's fascinating, isn't it? I guess it's, yeah, you score. You start familiarizing yourself with the, yeah. with the environment that you're you're in. Um, yeah. So this is a question that I always ask um, my guests at the end of the podcast, which is looking back at the ripples you've made in your life and within your work and your research. What is the sort of biggest lessons that you've come to to keeping your mind and your body healthy? I think the biggest thing that I've learned and the biggest on my journey and the biggest thing that I'm most passionate about trying to to spread the word of is that our body and our mind is constantly rejuvenating and re-architecting itself you know that was big news to me which seems crazy now but you know I really didn't I really didn't take that into account and I think so I'm really excited to try and share with people that if you go out and do something today and you challenge your body doing that task your body is going to rejuvenate and re-architect itself allowing you to do that task better tomorrow it's what i call darwinian fitness so not so much cardiovascular fitness but darwinian fitness fitness for the body to be able to perform that task so our brain we have a very elastic brain and we have a very elastic body both of them are constantly reacting to what we do Um, and if we know that we'll do more because if we think it's damage limitation or it's kind of over for us because our time has gone, we'll do less. And that's such a shame because we're missing out. So, and the more we do, the more we can do. And so that, that's, that, that's, uh, well, that's more than a ripple. That, for me, that's a huge wave. That's a tsunami. It's huge, huge. Yeah. Well, so, I mean, it sort of 
there's that sort of saying, isn't it? If you don't use it, you lose it. And it, you use it or lose it. It's one of those we hear it all the time, don't we? We often use a lot of these sayings without really maybe thinking too deeply about what's going on behind the saying. But it's absolutely true, you know. And you can have people. Well, there is no age limit at all, you know. You could be 85 years old, and if you're moving and loading your body, challenging your body, you're going to get better at that task tomorrow. You really are. Honestly, it doesn't matter about your postcode, your age, who you are, where you live, what you do. If you move, you get better and stronger at it, without a doubt. It's that simple. Um, mm. And I and I know that, obviously, we could keep talking about this for hours, but if, if people are fascinated in, in, in hearing more about this, you've got a book, Lost Art, Art of Running, and, and, and where, where can listeners find that? So, um, so I have a website, uh, which is um, Running Reborn. So Running Reborn is me. So runningreborn.com. And that, the website there, it, there's a, it's a coaching site where you can join uh, and learn all about the work. And there's lots of videos that you can watch um, to see how to move well. And it inspires you actually to video yourself. And that's one of the big things that I'm really passionate about is getting people to buddy up and video each other running. Because we have these perceptions about how we move and it's not always quite the way we think that it is. Um, but we don't know, you know, shop windows and shadows aside, it's difficult to know how you're moving sometimes. So if you buddy up with somebody else and you video each other, because we can all do that on our phones and start to see the way that you're moving, you can then use the site to download the videos and, and kind of compare what you're doing. And, it, that, and that site keeps up with my research work and everything that I'm doing. And you can buy the book through the through the through the website. Um, and I do lots of online coaching with people all around the world and face to face coaching here in Berkshire in groups and individual as well. So everything I'm up to, will, will, you will find on that site. And you can also find is your Instagram handle. What's that? I, your Instagram's really fascinating. Um, so so the Instagram is uh, Shane Bensey. So Benzie, yeah, and that's that's where there's like these little pockets of videos as well. So it gives you a yeah, little hint, and then you go on the website and it, and it gives you a little a little bit more. And I think that, that is that is true. You know, if you video yourself, sometimes it feels really oh. cringeworthy, doesn't it? You're like, oh god, I can't look at myself. It's, back. It's, it, it, you're, you're very rarely punching the air with excitement after you've seen it, but yes. actually, it then allows you to do something about it and take ownership of it, you know, and it really does because we learn so much by seeing what we do. And, you know, we have this perception of our movement and this proprioception that tells our brain where our spatial awareness is and what we're doing, but it doesn't really enlighten us to exactly how we're moving. 10 seconds of video on your phone or your tablet will change the way you view your running forever. It's it's, a, it's it's very enlightening. Very. No, enlightening. That, I mean, that goes for any sort of sport or movement that you're doing. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, I sort of, I've watched myself back doing yoga or paddleboarding or anything that I'm sort of into, and I'm like, oh no, I need. I know exactly what yeah. I've got to change, and it sure. can be yeah. your your own critic. Well, thank you so much, Shane, for for talking to me today on the start of the podcast. It's been so insightful, and um, yeah, I definitely I've been listening to Shane's book actually on Audible, and it's really really fascinating stuff so i definitely recommend it okay well well listen thank you thank you for inviting me on it was good fun thank you so much for listening to this episode of the start a ripple podcast if you like what you heard then please do subscribe and write a review it helps other like-minded souls find this podcast and means you'll never miss an episode 
If you want to get in touch, then the best place to find me is by Instagram. I'm at with underscore India. Or you can find my wellbeing hub at Finn and Flow. Thanks again and speak to you soon.